Good morning again. We'll get to that. And uh, for those of you that have been with us, we've been in Daniel on and off for eight weeks doing a series on exile. We're going to transition for the next three weeks and to close that series on exile into the book of Revelation. Pray for your pastor. Okay. And then uh, that will also probably be kind of a precursor because something that's been on my heart is next year I want to take a little longer look, maybe two months or ten weeks on the book of Revelation. And that's a, that's a heavy a weight, uh, not because of the book, because God gives wisdom, and it's actually, I think, more understandable than we want to know. That's the problem, right? But because there's so much bad info and intel on the end times theology. Actually, the world was supposed to end yesterday. Did you know that? There were some fringes who said the world ended yesterday, and I'm here, and you're here. And whenever someone says the world's going to end, I believe Jesus already talked about in Matthew 24 and 25, Nobody knows, not even me, so let's just keep rolling, okay? And the world, I'm going to go on a tangent. The world always ends in our lifetime when a conference or a book comes out. No one ever predicts the world's going to end in 3021. Why? There's no money in it. There's free pastor advice right there. Because if I came out here and said, let's have a conference, the world's going to end in 3021, people would go, what's the score of the game? Because nobody would care. And that's the way of the world, to whip us up in a frenzy, to divide people, hello, America, and then to capitalize on it because we've had this whole plan. I'm already preaching kind of, but let me pray. Real quick, more in Houston, I had a call yesterday with Kevin Reed. He is a high school teacher in and outside the Houston area, family friend. He belongs to Antioch Church. They've been serving, and he was really, really, we've been working through text, and we're younger guys, so we text and email, but we finally talked. Next time is like FaceTime, like see eyes, you know what I mean? But uh, he's working on some things today, so I'll pray for him and his church today. Uh, the communities that he thinks will need help, um, I still want to say if we go to Houston, because we've got to line a few things up, but it, it looks like we're going to be going to Houston over New Year's, is a Buddhist community, believe it or not, has been hit really hard, and uh, a Hispanic community just down outside of his town. So if anybody speaks Spanish fluently, that might be your... You're going to have a baby, though, so you're probably going to be out of this year. But uh, we'll talk about that, and it'll be some wonderful opportunity to, uh, to help some folks, if that's what the Lord calls us to do. Uh, there's more information on our table. Let me pray, and we'll do a clip on Daniel, and we'll get into Revelation chapter 1. It'll be good. Father, help me and help us. We do pray for Kevin and his church, all the churches in the area of Houston, Florida, Mexico City, even Montana and California with fire. So many things and so much pain and hurt. Holy Spirit, come open your word to us. Shock us, Lord. Maybe strip away some things that we kind of grew up thinking about this mysterious book, but cement in us this understanding of what you've been teaching us about living as exiles, living as people who believe in your way, who belong to you, but are still called, as we read in Jeremiah, to live here. Help me now. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's that tension we've been in for eight weeks. Jeremiah 29, Layla read it. Live where you are, prosper, do good for the land, marry, get good jobs, be a good employee, don't cheat on your taxes, take up wives, give your children as wives and husbands, and the Lord will bless you as he blesses Babylon. That's weird, right? Jeremiah's writing to exiles and he's saying, you will be blessed in a pagan empire if you're faithful to me. But then we get to the New Testament, and this is where it gets difficult. Second, I'm sorry, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. 
For the lust of the eyes and the desires of the flesh are passing away. So as Christians and as a pastor, it's my job to first live it. If I don't live it, leave the church. And then teach it. How do we live in that tension? Here's Jeremiah 29, this guy. Good job, guys. Here's 1 John 2, this guy's word to walk right here. Because if I go too far here, I'm not following Jesus. I'm not. I'm following patriotism. Now, the New England Patriots, good job, but patriotism can lack, right? But if I go over here and hate everything in the world and hate people who don't wear the right clothes or eat the right food, then I live in the hills with lots of food usually, okay? Because I'm an isolationist. But Jesus calls us to live right here and he says, follow me down this Calvary road. Here's the Calvary road in the middle. Now, sometimes I get more, a lot of flack from my liberal Christian friends because I'm not far enough, I don't know, this way sometimes, this way. And sometimes I get flack from my conservative Christian friends because I'm not too far this way or this way. They're on both sides of the issue. But I'm just trying to follow Jesus. And I'm trying to obey in what he has taught. So Daniel taught us how to live as exiles. Daniel showed us how to be faithful. Daniel showed us through a, a number of kings what it looked like to do everything under the sun that was faithful to God and not bow to empire. And one of the things Daniel did over and over, remember, was he interpreted dreams that the kings would have, nightmares, remember? And the kings would be freaked out because their nightmare, they would basically have a dream and says, King Darius, your kingdom's coming to an end. And to a king, what's the worst he could hear? Not his wife died, probably. Not his children died. But your reign is what? And so they would be petrified, and Daniel would come in and interpret, and he would say things like, yeah, Babylonians are going to fall, and then the Greeks are going to take over, and the Romans, they're all going to fall, but God is going to do something, and he's going to create something. He's going to create a rock, and that kingdom will never end, and that was the prophecy unto Jesus. And now on this side of the grave, on this side of the cross, an empty tomb, and risen Savior, how do we live in that tension? And Revelation plays a part. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 1, because it's the key. How many of you have heard of the book of Revelation? How many of you have seen a book, not the Bible, written about the book of Revelation? How many of you have seen something in the cinema or on the TV about the book of Revelation? How many of you, I got a good poll going here, I could like <laughs> straw poll it and figure some things out right now, right? How many of you have seen the book play out, the movie play out, the end times play out with all the faithful Christians vanishing and anywhere from 500 million to 2 billion people being wiped out? That's what I usually see. Why do I see that? Use your brains in church. Don't go, oh, it's almost over. Don't do that. But think. We see those things, I believe, because it is a hard book to kind of understand. And when we start to take the book literally, we literally, not that I have done it, it appears we go and have an acid trip. I've never done it. I've read about it. I worked as a paramedic, so I've seen the effects. And back at the ambulance, I said, that's not a blue smurf. That's just a light. But hallucinations and different understandings. 
So the key is in the beginning, I think. And I kind of preached this on 4th of July, but I'm going to go more in depth. It went another way. I'm going to talk about the way of the lamb today, Jesus' way. Next week, we're going to talk about the war of the lamb, how the lamb does warfare. Ooh. And then last, as we wrap up exile, we're going to talk about the city of the lamb, this new city that God said it's going to come. It's actually already happening. And then next year, we're going to try and take like 2018-ish, we're going to try and take some time and just dwell on the five or six major themes in the book of Revelation. So I hope you join us for that. It could be good as we all learn. And this is what I want the word to shock us into. I want God in his grace as we approach these things, we'll take the break for Thanksgiving and Advent and, and then we'll dive back in. Lord, show us and shape our eschatology. Big word. The way we think about the end times so that our attitudes will be Christ-like and I can be salt and light here and now. Because my problem going up with Revelation was I kind of understood a lot of judgment and bloodshed in the Old Testament and then I kind of saw Jesus coming as like God being humble but being hampered and then I was taught growing up, but just wait till the end times. Jesus is going to get his, and it's going to be awesome, and everyone's going to die. And that's kind of my view, and I'm like, okay, I'm a Christian, and that's what I believe. And so when non-believers would confront me in college, community college, and other places, and go, how come Jesus taught to love his enemies, but your vision of Jesus is going to, he's going to come back and kill 500 million people at Mount Armageddon? I had a problem because I didn't have an answer. And then in the 90s, I went to the Left Behind series, and I had a big problem. Because I had no more answers. I just had fantasy. But what I hope is God will shock us. I don't have all the answers. Trust me. But he will steer us by grace to help put together the Old Testament as well as continuing to study the New Testament. And what he's portrayed as this closing to his word. And I hope the goal over the next year is that our attitudes will be humbled and burdened for this planet and that we could have an attitude of salt and light and not, okay, just wait till you get yours. Because that is not good. That's what our country is suffering from right now. The attitude of, you're going to get yours. And I'm going to close with, uh, I think, pray for your passion in the next 14 minutes. I'm going to try and close and bring this all together with the NFL and Donald Trump at the conclusion of my sermon. So pray for your pastor. So hang out, okay? Hang out. You guys are like, yeah, get to that, okay, but let's see. So Revelation, you got it, Kim? 1-1. One, one. Again, this is not John the disciple or apostle. This is John the revelator. We'll talk more about that as we get in the new year. A different gentleman. He was probably the bishop or a mini pope over many churches, and he was in his ministry apparently saying, don't bow to the Roman Empire. And what do empires do? If they don't kill you, they put you off and say, have fun in Patmos. <laughs> There might be some crabs, there might be some shellfish, there might be some fruit. Go have fun. And he, this was revealed to him, and what was truly revealed to him was the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. That's John I just talked about. Next verse. This is the key verse. It's not Revelation 13, 15, 19, 20, 21. I think Revelation 1, 2 is the key verse. Who, John, bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even that all he saw. 
We don't do much Greek, but this was written in Greek. And this is the key verse because of this very reason. When it says, I have it written here, so I want to say it a little better. I memorized most of it, but let me go back to the iPad. This verse is crucial because of this reason. Verse 2 literally says, the angel through this guy John bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And it literally says, who bore witness to the word of God, who is Jesus Christ. Now in our English, it can get a little weird because we see this, but it literally says, this revelation is a testimony to the word of God, Jesus Christ. That's huge. That piggybacks and why some people are confused on the gospel of John, right? Remember the prologue? In the beginning was the, and the word was God, and the word was with God, a little out of order. He was in the beginning, verse 114, and the word became flesh, and the human being, Jesus, was his name. So what we're getting at is what couldn't be fulfilled in the Old Testament with all the Levitical law and the law that Moses gave and the prophets came into human form and God fully displayed himself in Jesus Christ. So this revelation is a testimony to him, the man, not just words on a page. So that's where we have to start with the book of Revelation. And if we don't start there, I would argue Hollywood and BuzzFeed and Facebook take over with our interpretation. Because if we don't start there and we don't put this as the lens, the filter, what we're going to press everything through, we can get way into left field real quick. And we can start hoping for wars and hoping for non-Christians to die by the thousands. And if you haven't read church history, especially some church history in America, that's sometimes the interpretation. we got to go, whoa, 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 whoa. So the questions I have of this book, this verse shows me and commands me to go back to the man, Jesus Christ, when I have my questions. Don't go to the authorities, the pastors, or the offers first. Where do we first go? Jesus. So it's huge right here. I hope I communicated that well enough. Now, if, if you're familiar with the book, some of you might be going, but there's a lot of crazy stuff in the book of Revelation. Amen. But as a pastor and as a Christian... And as a believer, we want to go back to this verse. If you have your own Bible and you've struggled with some of this, maybe star this verse and underline it if you want to, because this is the baseline. This has to do with exile as well. Because a large theme of the book of Revelation is John the Divine or John the Revelator writing to Christians who are being pressured to live as lukewarm Christians in a Roman Empire. Real quick history. I think it was Domitius. He was the emperor at the time that this was written. He was not a bad guy. <laughs> he was not like Nero or some of the other guys or Herod Antipas. He was, Kayla, are you a Christian? That's okay. Be a good citizen of Rome and we love you. Paul, are you a Christian? You don't bow to Caesar? Okay, just, just kind of keep it in the house. I don't want any protests, and you're good. Libby, are you a Christian? Okay, just you and Glory do your Bible study. Just keep it a little on the wraps. Brother Joe, are you a Christian? 
Okay, just, you're out there in the square, just, just calm down a little bit, okay? That was the attitude of this empire when this was being written. Why does that matter? How do you kill a frog? You guys know it. Do you boil water and throw a frog in? Frog's reactions are so good, it will get out like that. <laughs> you simply put it in lukewarm water and turn up the heat slowly, and it's dead in half an hour. What John is writing to is Christians, don't be lulled to sleep by the kind emperor right now. It's still the way of the what? World. That's what's going on here. Nero, others, you knew where you stood. He's bad. We got to stand strong, and we're probably going to die. That's dangerous physically, but church history actually tells us it breeds revival, right? Because you know what you're made of and you know where you stand. And God, over history, not just in the Roman Empire, over other empires and over other places in the world, acts supernaturally at times and faith is built. So believe it or not, the book of Revelation is very pertinent to Americans in 2017. Because there are forces on the right and the left who want to say, come on our side and you can be a Christian still. It'll be great. And you'll bring your voting block and we'll win. And that's the way of the world. So this book is revolutionary because it speaks to our hearts. And it's written in a time, don't be seduced by the kindness, or I'll say it this way, they weren't really kind. Don't be seduced by the lack of brutality by this empire. It's still a what? Empire. And there will be a new emperor probably in two decades. And if you're in bed with him, guess what? That's why in some of the letters, Jesus says what in this book? I'd rather you just go fully allegiance to Rome. I could deal with that. I'd rather you say no Rome, no Rome and be hot. But when you're lukewarm, I detest that. Because you're trying to have your cake and what? And that's the problem, right? So that's where, that's where we find this letter written. And that's why this verse is the key, because there are some things that are extraordinarily violent and maybe crazy, we could say. There is a danger for believers living in any empire to become slowly intoxicated with, with its way of life. There is a danger back then. There's a danger for us now. I would say as a whole, the U.S. of A. is much better than the Roman Empire. Maybe history would disagree with me. But um, it's, it is easier in many ways to be a Christian here and now than it was back then. And I thank God for that. But the danger is still here. Jesus has a way. It's the way of the Lamb. It's the way of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And as I said, we need to look at that for a few more moments until we get to the punchline you guys are excited about, right? I mentioned NFL and Donald Trump from the pulpit. It's probably viral by now on YouTube. We're not videoing. It wouldn't be viral. Growing up, and we'll transition and we'll be done in a sec. Growing up, my own heart and the Christians I hung around like the Jesus portrayed in the book of Revolution better than the Jesus in the Gospels. I'll say that again. Growing up, my attitude toward the first Gulf War was this. Kill them all and let God do his job. 
I repent of that. I was 19. I was stupid. But growing up in my church circles, we liked the Jesus we thought was portrayed in the book of Revolution better, or sorry, Revelation, Revolution American, Revelation, more than the Gospels. And I preached on it two months ago, three months ago. As Americans, we're kind of hamstrung because revolution and resistance is in our DNA, right? <laughs> Let's just be honest. America was founded on protest and revolution, and that's fine. But I started looking at Revelation 19 when Jesus comes back on a horse with the armies of heaven behind him with the sword coming out of his mouth and a robe dripped in blood. And every time I thought that I was mistreated in any way, especially for my faith, if Ashley would have been there, I said, Ashley, wait till you meet Jesus on a white horse. It's going to be awesome. Because I'm going to be in heaven and I'm going to be looking down at you going, have fun. In that mindset, I never went back to Revelation 1-2 because I didn't read that part of Revelation. I used to cherry pick, right? Anybody cherry pick the Bible? You can be honest in church. We mature. That's okay. We're humans. But it never entered my mind to put forth the pictures we see, especially this great, amazing picture in Revelation 19 with the Gospels, with the life of Christ, with his example, with his teaching, with his suffering, with his death and resurrection, I'm going to try and do that in six minutes, but come next year. We'll get into it, okay? So this is the, one of the parts I'm just using as an example. Revelation 19.11. John sees this. This is the end battle, the battle that will take place. Again, I'm trying to preach for 34 minutes on Revelation, so there's a lot I could have done, but we're just trying to use an example here. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And my younger, at the time, red-blooded American male heart said, finally, I don't have to turn the other cheek. Yes! Come on, Lord. That, I want that. Because he's faithful and he's true, and he's coming not on a donkey like a little wimp at Jerusalem. He's coming on a horse. And I can't wait for him to come and destroy my enemies. Anybody ever been there? Don't. Maybe in your heart, but I'm a weirdo, so that's where I go, right? I'm not taking away this. Jesus Christ, the one who is faithful and true, judges and for sure makes war. The question for us is, how does he judge and what type of war does he wage? That's the question, right? Because human beings, we know how we judge, right? Dave, you slap me, I'm hitting you 10 times. After I hit Dave 10 times, the judgment's made, he's got to die. I die, my brother-in-law goes kills all of his family, and then the war starts. That's primitive human history dating back 10,000 years. It's more refined now. We do it with legislation and pens now, right? Jesus for sure judges, and he for sure makes war. The question we will answer next week a little bit, and next year as we dive in, how does he do that? That's a good question to know the answer to, right? Especially in America in 2017, where our president can't get off Twitter. And there are all sorts of protests happening right now over the country. So this is pertinent. Next verse. I don't have time, so I might, I've already seen it. I don't have time. We've got to get into it. His eyes are like a flame of fire. 
and on his heads are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Why? Because he is the word of God and God himself, and he is owed that. That's actually, I won't quote it, Numbers 29 maybe, but I won't quote it. Next verse. Here it is. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called the word of God. That sounds like trouble's coming, amen? That's what it sounds like to me. That's what every movie about the apocalypse, if Jesus shows up, that's what it means. One more. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine white linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And God's people say what? Go get them. Yeah. Woo. About time. 15, and I'll try and wrap this up. And this is the tricky one. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread them. I'm sorry, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And we go, yeah, get him. Okay. But let's dwell here for a few minutes. Give me a couple minutes of grace because I'm, I'm in it now. I'm in, I'm in knee deep, right? Hope you're at least engaged. Will Jesus Christ literally return with the hundred-foot sword coming out of his mouth? Yes or no? What do you think? This is logic and biblical common sense. What do you guys think? Maybe? That's probably the, that's the answer, right? Maybe? No, he won't. That's my conviction, and I have lots of verses to show you that. This is a metaphor, come next week, big plug, of how God judges. Maybe I'll stop it here and dive in deep next week because this is kind of the sermon because I don't want to confuse anybody, and makes war. This is it. This is true. This is a spiritual parable and spiritual metaphor of how the Lord is coming. And we should go, yes, and this should drive us to humility and grace so we could be salt in life, not thick-headed and proud-chested and go, just wait, Ashley, he's coming for you. You better treat me better. I pick on Ashley because would, I would never say that about any of you, but especially Ashley, right? But quickly, just so I don't leave you too confused, Jesus Christ is coming in this vision, this metaphor on a white horse, a war horse, amen. He has all authority in heaven and earth to do that. Colossians testifies to that. We say, yes, thank you, Lord. Does any general come to battle with blood on his clothes? No, especially in the Old Testament if you want to go there. This would be an abomination if you're going straight Old Testament. Do armies of heaven wear victory clothes if they're going to go slaughter people? Probably not, but I can teach more about this next week. I know you're in, This is good. Be intrigued. Think. What is Jesus' weapon when he first came to earth, still now, and what he will judge us by? What's his weapon? Truth and grace. What is the truth? What does it always do? 
Hebrews testifies to it. The Gospels testify about it. It slices and divides and separates the truth is here and everything not hailing the truth is deceit. And what do we live in a world in? What is the way of empire? Deceit. Grace, dear sister, just vote this way and your life will be complete. Empire, deceit, stop that. You would never do that, that's why I pick on you. Jesus has judged, John 1, 2, and 3, but it's different John, I know it's confusing. And he will make war by the truth of the gospel and deceit not being able to comprehend it. Rather, darkness can't comprehend it. How many Christians in here? Don't raise your hands. This is the Jesus that showed up upon your conversion with truth and grace. And he buried that, buried that sword in your heart and he said, child, I love you. I'm going to show you what's real. Fake reality. Walk this way. Do we know what repentance means? It simply means see reality, recognize it by the God of grace, turn away from falsehood and run towards reality. Make a change. So Jesus' call the whole time is to see the truth of God, to own the truth of God by grace alone, to love God, and to constantly say, I will not live in pig slop, Luke 15, parable, prodigal son. My, I can go be a servant in the kingdom. He's a good God. I will turn and I will walk towards him. This is our Lord. Here the pastor, Jesus Christ makes war every day. And he judges every day. He does not do it like North Korea, the United States, Russia, or anybody else because he's Jesus Christ. And I should get an amen in church. That's the truth. He does it a higher, more superior way. God is sovereign. Christ is sovereign. And in his, why do we love an underdog? One of my most favorite movies. I'm going long today. I don't want to leave you confused. Give me the grace. One of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans. Anybody see Remember the Titans? Disney. Denzel Washington 20 years ago or so, small Alabama football team, underdogs, integrated. There's some racial stuff done really well because it's we can do good racial stuff, bad racial stuff. I'm probably not qualified to say that because I'm white, but that's the truth of the matter. But the underdog wins in the end. Sorry to blow the movie. Hear this, church. Jesus Christ was never the underdog. Jesus Christ was before time began. <laughs> Jesus Christ holds the whole 300 billion galaxies or so together by his own power and by himself. And God's given him the name above every other name. Why Jesus Christ was never the underdog is the first time Jesus came, he came humbly and meek. He fulfilled what was written because the book couldn't contain the love and purpose and mercy and grace of God and even the judgment of God. And he is still coming humbly and meek. We just have it backwards because to us this means it's on. Quickly, the way of the world. If you haven't chosen to partake or to know, you're probably better. But the NFL for the last year has been doing a bunch of protests, right? A lot of players starting with Colin Kaepernick have been kneeling or sitting down for the national anthem and that happens when our flag, our American flag, has been unveiled. And for a large segment of the population, that makes people really angry, right? Especially people like veterans. 
especially people like who've lost loved ones in war, especially people like police officers and firefighters can become very angry sometimes. While another segment of our population has made Colin Kaepernick a sounding cry. Like, thank you for speaking out. We've been treated poorly for hundreds of years and someone is finally on a main stage saying, there's inequality in our country. I'm not qualified to speak on either. I was a paramedic for 10 years, that was 10 years ago. I still know some people, but like them or not, probably more not, fine, your choice. Our president, a night and a half ago, basically said, are there any children in here? Should I quote the president or should I keep it PG? Okay. Our president, who is a billionaire, was speaking to other billionaires, NFL owners. I think it's pertinent. I'm trying to wrap it up. I'm not trying to grandstand. I just want us to have some biblical clarity on this. Basically said, I wish the owners would fire all those SOBs who don't stand for our national anthem. And he used the real term, SOB. Okay? So, whatever. But I just want us to see the way of empire on both sides, and I'll pray and we'll fellowship after this sermon, right? That would be great. Half the country, or a little less, love the fact that our president said that. Because half the country are deeply offended at what they see as millionaires who are given a privilege to play a sport discredit our flag. Okay. Over 15 NFL teams on the most important night of their week, Saturday night, had meetings last night to decide how they're going to handle this as a team. That's how far it's gone both sides. Christians, who I love, both sides are the way of empire. Do we, that's all I want to tell you today. Both sides are the way of the world. This side and that side. How do I know? Because Jesus said, whoever is your perceived enemy, love them and pray for them. That's the sword coming out of his mouth that cuts into all of our hearts because we all have what? Perceived enemies, right? If Colin Kaepernick is Donald Trump's perceived enemy, shut your mouth, Mr. President, I'll address you, and pray for him. If, if uh, Sean King, who's a political activist, is an officer's enemy, officer, love you, shut your mouth, love him, and pray for him. That's what the Bible says. And I hope, because this was wrestling in my heart the past few days, Jesus gives us some clarity on the way of the world, the way of him, and truth and grace. And I hope as we go over, we'll talk more next week about the war of the lamb, how he wages war. I'll give you a sneak peek. The blood that's on his robe is his own blood because he already died. He spread his arms open wide and said, this is how I fight. I fight with self-sacrificial love. Come and follow who? Me. You still have to come to church next week. You didn't get the whole sermon. I'm going to pray for all of us this week. You will be engaged one way or other, not just with the stuff going on between the president and the NFL and racial issues. We will be engaged as people. May the truth of God and the grace of God come forth through us. May we be true salt and light. May we have discernment to go, I hear you, but it's all the way of the world because Jesus carved out this way. It's the Calvary Road. He taught us how to live. He taught us how to treat one another. If Valerie's my enemy, I got to come to her and go, sister, can we work it out? No. She would never say that. Sister, can we work it out? No. I hope and I wish death on you. She would never say that, but she just did. I then have to go to my prayer closet and go, Lord, give me the grace to love Valerie. 
Give me the grace to stay away and disengage for a season so I can pray for her well and show your way, not my own. That's where we're at. And I'm going to give you another free advice. We've always been there. Since sin came into play, this is just enhanced. Amen? This is just enhanced. Let's pray. Please enjoy fellowship. There's some information about uh, Hurricane Harvey. I got it right. Also, the block party on November 4th. Join us that Saturday. It'll be awesome. It'll be really good. And uh, I should drink one sip of water before I pray, right? Whew. Does anybody come back to church next week? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. <coughs> thank you that we've learned over the past few months about living as exiles, not heeding to empire on the right or the left or the extreme right or the extreme left or anywhere in between, but to walk this Calvary road. Thank you for giving us the instructions to do that. Thank you for fulfilling your law through your son so we could see clearly at times in these dark times, Lord. Father, I pray for these people. I pray for myself and our hearts. Give us the clarity to work well and walk well and love well and forgive well. Give us the discernment to see the times. Father, I pray that you would bless us and keep us, that your face would shine upon us, that you would be gracious to all of our lives. In Jesus' name, all God's people said what? Amen.